Well, welcome back to our series on the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus. It's so great that you can be with us today, uh, either in person in the church or online. Um, Let's just pray together. Let's just come and ask God to lead us today to hear his word found in the Bible. A gracious, loving God, we give you thanks that we can hear from you through the Bible. Lord, may your Holy Spirit open this up so that we may understand what it says to us for today, that how it can talk into our lives. Oh Lord, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Now, it's really interesting that when we've come into this section of Mark's Gospel, and we're in chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel, that it's actually really kind of a different part of the Gospel story. You know, uh, last week we were looking at the very first section of Mark chapter 6 and and about how Jesus was um, not welcome in his own town. He wasn't recognised as the Messiah. And this week we actually have a section of the gospel that, you know, for all intensive purposes doesn't seem to fit about telling about Jesus, does it? Let, Let me just put it into framework here. Just before this passage that we've heard read to us today, um, Jesus actually commissions the 12 disciples to go out into the towns, the villages around him, to tell the good news of Jesus Christ, to tell them about what they've learned about Jesus and to tell them about Jesus and God's kingdom. And then we come to this section that, that recalls the death of John the Baptist. Then Mark immediately after this actually returns back and the disciples come back from the missionary journey. So it kind of seems like this little section stuck in there, doesn't it? It kind of seems like it's out of place, but it's not. It actually has a very distinct purpose for us. But sometimes we miss that because this passage actually doesn't directly reference Jesus as being the main character in the story. It doesn't direct the words, the ways, or the works of Jesus. It's actually revolving around Herod and, and what he did with John the Baptist. But it can speak into us. But it also asks a number of significant questions. So in order for us to understand why this section is, is found in the Bible, why it's what it actually means, we actually need to go back to the beginning. And we need to actually jump into uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and f- two to 4, and we're just going to put it up on the screen for you. And it actually says, Just as the prophet Isaiah had written, I am looking, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. Here's a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was, who was it? It was John the Baptist. And he was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptised to show that they had repented of their sin and turned to God to be forgiven. See, After this passage, John is then arrested. And from a recounting of the events that we know, you know, he was he was arrested because he was he kept on telling. He kept on telling 
the king, Herod, that he was an adulterer, that what he was doing was wrong, that he himself needed to repent and turn of his ways, that the marriages that he was having, the lifestyle he was living was incorrect, that the king was greedy, he was lying, he was an abuser of women, he was an adulterer. And, you know, this is... This, that's, you know, that kind of language, that kind of thing that you say to a leader, a king, a ruler like that, hap- what happens? You end up in jail. So Herod imprisoned him. And we know through that passage that eventually ends in the death of John the Baptist. So Mark 6 helps us to actually understand that Jesus is actually central to this, is important in all of this, because John the Baptist is pointing towards Jesus. And the recounting of Herod's torment and torture and and trying to understand who this is helps us link this big question for us. And the question is, who do you think Jesus is. Who do you think Jesus is? And this is a huge question for us today. You know, who is Jesus for you? Is he a man who is found in history, just stuck back in time, that he did live, he did die, and that lots of people wrote about him? Is Jesus just a story for you that has no significance? Is he a prophet, somebody that speaks the word of God? Or is he the Messiah, the Son of God, the the very one who's come to save us? See, as Mark is telling about John the Baptist, we know that he's also telling about Jesus the Messiah because John was the one who pointed the way to the Messiah. And so it's important to actually understand that this question that is asked, who is Jesus? You know, even John the Baptist, we know the other gospel accounts, says, is this the one who I was proclaiming is the way? Is Jesus the one who we were seeking? This question is so important. It weaves its way through Mark's gospel. Who is Jesus? Who do you say I am? Who who is Jesus for you? Time and time again, you'll actually find there is a declaration about who Jesus is, who people think he is. And and believe it or not, in the the first five five chapters of Mark's gospel, we've already been having declarations about who Jesus is. But they haven't been coming from the most likely places. They've actually been coming from the places such as the demons, those who are possessed, were saying, you are the son of God, why have you come to torment me? So they're declaring who Jesus is already. But let me set the scene for you. Let me put this passage into its context so we can understand it. So as Jesus is talking more and more around the villages, as people are starting to ask the question, 
Is this the Messiah? Is this going to be the leader? Is this the one that's going to bring restoration back to, to our town, our villages, our country, who we thought we'd be, the chosen people? As that is happening and as miracles are happening, Jesus becomes known by those in power and in leadership. And we need to put this into, in, into context for us because John the Baptist has already been beheaded. He's already been killed at this stage. And as Jesus' influence is increasing, the question comes to Herod. And let me bring it back to you so we can understand it. Mark 6, verses 14 to 16. And it says, Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. So people were starting to talk about Jesus, who he was, what he was doing, the miracles that were happening. And it was starting to come around and become known. And Herod the king started to hear about Jesus. And what do we have? Some were saying, that this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. This is why he can do such miracles. Others said he's a prophet, Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about this, heard about Jesus, he said... John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. You know, here it is. The guilt of Herod is making him see Jesus as John the Baptist come back. Because Jesus wasn't preaching an easy message. He was preaching that you had to live up to a standard, that you had to change your ways, that you had to turn to God. You had to understand that God's kingdom had come in Jesus. It had been fulfilled in here. And so Herod's hearing the same message as John was saying to him. And so he suddenly thinks that this is John, the Baptist, come back from the dead because, because he was being condemned, basically. But see, Herod misses completely the point and the question of who Jesus is because he was consumed of what he'd done to John, that he couldn't actually see who Jesus really is. See, I want us to know one of the reasons I think that this is so important for us to read and understand in Mark's Gospel, this section of the Gospel, Firstly, it's because it retells the story. It finishes off what it means to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one who to come, through somebody who steps up and challenges authority, through John the Baptist. That we will, if we step up and face authority, with the message of hope and love and reconciliation, of 
challenging abuse and challenging power and challenging adultery when we see it, if we step up and have that message, it will be unpopular to those in power who are committing crimes and who are adulterous because they will want us removed. It tells the story of what happened to John because he did this. But it also tells the story and asks the question of who do you think Jesus is? And that's so important for us. And that question, we're actually going to not focus on it today. We're actually going to be focusing on it a little bit later. Because because this question keeps on going through Mark's gospel, keeps on travelling through Mark's gospel. Who do you say I am? Who do the people say I am? Who is Jesus for you? And we're going to explore that later on uh, in Mark's gospel. But it, uh, it's just so important for us to understand that this is one of the main reasons that this passage about the beheading of John the Baptist is in there because it's asking the question, who did the leaders of that time think Jesus was? And they didn't understand But there's something I want you to take away from today. And the question is, I want you to start asking yourself, who is Jesus for you? Who do you say Jesus is? That's an important question for us, isn't it? It really becomes foundational in our faith. Who is Jesus for us? As a church, what does it mean that we step up? How do we follow the words, the ways and the works of Jesus if we don't understand who Jesus is for us individually? And there's some really practical things that we can can glean from Herod especially about his arrogance and abuse of power. There's some really important information for it. You know, Herod was trapped by his own arrogance. He was trapped by his own lust. He was trapped by his own power. See, even in the midst of this, you know, in the story, we see that he's he's taken by lust over a young girl dancing in front of him in, in, in this party that he had with all influential people around him and he's got his own importance coming out and he says I'll give you up to half my kingdom thinking that this is going to be some gold maybe some property money and you know I can recoup that anyway you know that's not a major issue instead of possessions it comes out that he The girl wanted, through the conniving of her mother, the head of John the Baptist. Because he was speaking it out against Herod and Herodias. He got so caught up in his own ambition, in his own lust, in his own power, he was arrogant that he didn't think something like this would happen. And you can even hear in the story 
that, that he did this because he just needed to save face in front of his guests. He really didn't want to do this. He actually, as much as it, you know, and I don't know how you enjoy somebody coming down to somebody who keeps on telling you you're doing the wrong thing, but that's what Herod used to do. He used to go and listen to John, and John would, would say, tell him about God and what has been happening, but tell him that you are still doing the wrong thing. Your relationships are wrong. So even though he felt bad, he thought good of John because he did stand up. But it had a consequence. Now I want to bring it home for us. Really drive it home. See, the thing is, not many of us will be in the position where we are the king of a country. Anybody around here think that they're going to be the king of the country? Hey, okay. Caleb thinks he is, so that's okay. So. But, you know, not many of us will be in that position, but all of us will be in a position where we do exercise authority, where we do exercise power, where we do exercise responsibility, where we are masters of our own life, and we are masters of our own life. The thing is that what Herod did is he got caught up in the pursuit of pleasure. And we too can get caught up in the pursuit of pleasure. That we forget to count the cost that that pursuit has upon our lives. See, I want to take this, and I especially want to take this out of the realms of of sexual pleasure or any of those kind of things, because there are so many other areas in our life where people pursue pleasure above all things. So we often think that if it feels good, then we should pursue it. Whether that's food or alcohol or whatever it might be, money or gambling, you know, those kind of things that give us that pleasure rush. Now, I want to say, that doesn't mean that we are to avoid pleasure at all cost. Although, you know, it doesn't mean that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that we need to be sour, um, down, demure, avoid all kinds of pleasure and always looking, you know, kind of sad and woe is me kind of thing because nothing good ever happens in our lives. Although some, there are some religious practices that advocate that you should avoid pleasure at all costs. What I'm saying it is, is, is not to let pleasure rule us, not to let the pursuit of pleasure guide us in everything that we do. Because if we let the pursuit of pleasure, of just those pleasurable experiences in our life, just wanting to have more and more experiences, more and more, then it will take a toll upon us. There will be a cost upon us individually. Pleasure is seductive. It draws us to want more and more of this. And couple this with power and influence and it becomes a dangerous mix. Couple this with money and privilege and that becomes extremely dangerous for us and those around us. See, Herod's lust and drunkenness and position and power meant that he could not see Jesus for who he was. See, all of those things that he drove for, all of that pleasure that he wanted, 
meant that he couldn't recognise Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. It meant he kept on focusing back into the guilt that he had over John the Baptist and the death and what he'd been doing. For me, this section in Mark's Gospel brings it right back into that question about who do we say Jesus is? What does it mean for us to live our life as a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to not pursue pleasure but pursue Christ? What does it mean to pursue God's will in your life, not just the, the next hit, the next high, the next wonderful moment for us? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean that the choices we make actually have an impact in our lives and an impact around us? See, we can't just make decisions thinking that there will be no impact to those around us, no impact upon other people's lives. See, Herod's lust had an impact upon John the Baptist. We too, when we lust after things, when we lust after the pleasures in life and only with no regard about anybody else, we have impact on other people's lives. The decisions we make have repercussions. So I want to ask you this question, what things are causing you to stumble in your journey of discipleship? What things are you seeking after that stops you seeing Jesus for who he really is? What things are pulling you away from recognising God's love and providence in your life? What things are you putting in front of Jesus? What things are you lusting after? So let's just pray about this right now. Let's ask God to speak into our lives. Oh, gracious Lord, we know sometimes it's hard to hear stories when power is abused. It's hard to hear your message when it doesn't specifically speak about Jesus. But Lord, help us to understand that even in this moment that you are speaking to us in our lives. Oh God, may you speak into our lives today. Show us an area in our life that is causing you not to be seen. For us not to recognise that you are our Lord and Saviour. God, speak into our life that you may show us an area in our life where we are arrogant. Where we dismiss other people where we dismiss those who are causing us not to look at how we treat others, not to see the relationships that are pulling us apart. God, speak into our lives to show us an area where we may be abusing power or privilege where we may be seeking pleasure above all things and it is causing us harm and hurt in our lives and hurt to those around us. 
Oh Lord, you are speaking to us now. You are showing us those moments where we do not see Jesus as our Saviour. Oh Lord, we pray now that if, that if you've shown somebody right now an area in their life, that, that we just take this moment and we just ask that you give forgiveness in that space, that you give healing in that space, that you give correction in that space. Lord, our lives have impact. Our lives have meaning. Our lives have purpose. And Lord, you make that so much more complete when you speak into our lives. So Lord, speak into our lives today that we may declare that you are our Lord and Saviour, that you are our Saviour, that we may see Jesus not stuck in history, but as somebody alive for us today, guiding us, leading us, and drawing us closer to you, O God. May we see Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, the one who gave us all his life, so that we may draw close to you, O God. May the Holy Spirit convict us of those things that may be wrong in our lives. But may the Holy Spirit lead us to correct those in the way we behave, in the things that we do, in the patterns of behaviour that we have. May those of us that have power and position not be arrogant, not be abusive, but to use it wisely and in your leading. Oh Lord, we pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.